Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children 18 plus, you are tuned in to the Loan Officer Podcast with me, Dustin Owen, and a very special guest, all the way from his law firm, the Consumer Rights Advocacy Firm. He is a local attorney. He is a Florida State professor. His name is Jared Lee. And today we are going to discuss how to avoid credit repair scams. It is great to be here and uh, it is an important topic because there are a tremendous number of credit repair scams. Um, there are about 60,000 credit repair businesses that identify themselves as, as that in the United States and they do about 3.5 billion with a B dollars in business a year. Uh, and many of them and many companies that pretend to be them are doing bad things for consumers who actually want to advance their credit and get a loan with. So Jared, I just need to thank you on behalf of like a small population of our viewers and our listeners, right? So our viewers and listeners, they tune in to YouTube, which by the way, we're very close to hitting 10K. So hopefully you have some friends that are currently tuned in. Hey, if you're a friend of Jared and you're tuned in because you have no idea who I am or what the show is about, but you love him, do us a favor, go on YouTube, and please subscribe. Maybe you'll be the person that pushes, pushes us over. Others tune in on Spotify and they tune in on iTunes, anywhere else where you can find podcasts, right? So what I need to thank you on behalf of them. You just got right down to it. Well, you know, we're here. We've got limited time. We might as well jump into yes. the issues. I love it. I love it because usually when JC's on the other side of the, uh, the, extraordinary, the producer extraordinary, John Coleman, when he's on the, the other side of the mic, he and I sit back and we chit chat and we catch up on life and current events. I love the fact, and we have a select few listeners who love the fact that you jumped right in. So I'm going to go back and I want you to say that again, because this is a topic that you're doing us a solid in the, in the industry. This podcast is designed for anybody who is looking to buy a house, who currently owns a house, who finances homes for a living or sells homes for a living. Basically 80% of the American populace, we create content for you. And one of my pet peeves, I'm an 18 year mortgage professional, is the term credit repair. Um, I don't even like that term. It, it, it's, it's a horrible term because your credit is what it is. And your credit report maybe needs to be repaired for inaccuracy or misleading stuff, but you can't actually repair your credit. It is what it is. Yes, it is a lifestyle choice and a lifestyle change. Like I don't talk about my health repair unless I had a heart attack and that is a repair, but then I needed to still have a lifestyle change right. to, to figure out what caused that heart attack and how do we not do that again? So no, I, I love having you on to talk about how to avoid credit repair scams because after 18 years, I don't know anything close to what you know about credit reports, about the credit reporting laws, et cetera. What I do know is I've seen with my two little bitty eyes, the amount of just malpractice, I would call it, that was performed at the consumer's expense by somebody or some bodies who are consistently trying to work an angle, yeah. who are trying to, to hack their way through it or trick their way through it. So. How many different companies? Because you just use like billions and you use millions. Can you repeat that again? How many companies out there are supposedly advertising their services as credit repair? In 2021, about 69,000. Okay, 69,000. Yes. Okay, and then what's the dollar cost to the consumer? So consumers uh, spend annually about $3.5 billion on credit repair. That's on credit repair. 
which one could argue for some, if they just learned to pay their bills on time, they wouldn't potentially need to spend that money on credit repair. Right. But I know from living life, life is a journey. And sometimes we only learn by failing, right? And that's our first attempt in learning. And we fail forward and we get better because of it. Um, so I'm not going to judge, but hey, just FYI, I always answer people's question. Well, hey, how do you have great credit? I'm like, I don't know, pay your bills on time. Um, that's just where I'm coming from. You have a different take because you practice this. But what I also love is you teach it. So you do both, right? You we practice do. it with your law firm. And then I'm assuming that Florida State University is hiring you to teach this. Yes. So we work with the uh, the law school and two of their programs, one for law students, another in their Juris Masters, which is a one-year law program. And we teach consumer protection law, which does cover credit repair. It also covers Truth Lending Act and other consumer protection statutes, a lot of which do interact with what you do. They, they 100% do. So where do we want to take this? So we're going to title this because I love the title, How to Avoid Credit Repair Scams. Um, do you have a certain set agenda that you want to walk through? Because if not, I'll sit here and pepper you with questions and we could turn a half hour show into like a three day show. Let's go at your pace, what you want to cover. Um, there are a lot of things to hit here, but uh, I think we can work it in no matter what approach we take. All right. So let's start with because I kind of opened up Pandora's box a little bit and I was not trying to be judgy. I promise anyone and everyone tuning in. I sometimes use humor and sarcasm, sarcasm to get points across. But when, when you, if you were, I don't even know if you offer this service, but if you were to sit down with a client whose FICO was below 600 and when you looked at it, there were collections, there were unpaid bills, late pays, et cetera. How does that look in the right way of doing things? And then compare it to some of the horror stories that you see outside of doing things the right way. Well, the right way to approach things uh, is to first start with that credit report. Go through it with a fine-tooth comb, highlighter, whatever you need to, to mark things up, uh, and start identifying everything that is misleading or inaccurate. Um, and so uh, at least 40% of credit reports have a serious error. That's a situation where that credit re report has something on there that is misleading about you, inaccurate about you. Those, those are where you start from a perspective of fixing bad credit. The next thing you need to do is, of course, as you've talked about, changing your habits. Um, but where you see those misleading and accurate things, um, write a written dispute letter to the credit reporting agencies disputing that information, asking them to correct it. Okay. You mentioned the word dispute. Um, not a four-letter word, but it could be in my world. As a mortgage lender... Um, because I will share with the audience when you have disputes on your credit report and you didn't quote unquote, win that dispute, meaning the, you disputed it. And then the creditor responded that, no, we feel like we're right. And that you're wrong. I then in many cases cannot move forward with doing a loan application with full loan approval until you remove that dispute. When you remove that dispute, I have recognized in notices, there are many times your credit score goes down at which point I may be able to take a pre-approved buyer down to a not pre-approved buyer. So you mentioned dispute and you also mentioned go through my credit report with a fine tooth comb. Let's start with where do I find my credit report? The easiest place to get your credit report is annualcreditreport.com. And um, should I pay for it? You should not. Okay. Particularly right now, because until the end of the year, it's one of the very few upsides of COVID is consumers can get the report for free once a week. They don't have to wait a full year. And so um, 
after this year, uh, you may need to pay for if you're going to access it a bunch of times. But right now, you can access it for free once a week. Okay. Now, you advised I go through with a fine-tooth comb. Am I looking for things like my name is Dustin, but somewhere they have me listed as Justin in inaccuracies? That is a place and that you should pay attention. We can talk about that more. But from a perspective of your score, start with the accounts and, and the inquiries, where information is being reported about your credit activity and where your file has been given out. Okay, so if I started with my credit inquiries, I first want to make sure that, yes, I approved these credit inquiries. And how many days or weeks or months of inquiries typically show up on a credit report? Generally, you're going to see about two years worth of inquiries. Okay. Um, so then I have to remember or try to figure out, did I actually authorize someone uh, to to do this? And again, I'm just a mortgage lender, but I've pulled thousands of credit reports throughout the past two decades. And I will find that the biggest proponent for multiple inquiries, at least back in the day, was someone shopping for a car. And usually when they don't qualify for the dealer's financing that is offered, and then the dealer starts going outside, yeah. then all of a sudden one inquiry with Ford ended up being 12 or 16 inquiries, of which point maybe the consumer knew about it, maybe they didn't, maybe they authorized it, maybe they didn't. But you're saying if you didn't authorize the inquiry, that is a potential you could dispute it. And then when I dispute something, it's a process, right? I have to it write is. letters. I have to mail those letters off or do I fax them or There, there are a couple ways you can get disputes in, but the, the best way is to write a letter, send it out, send it certified mail. Okay. Um, and I'm disputing any inaccuracies. Yes. Am I disputing something that I just can't remember? I, I wouldn't recommend disputing something just because you can't remember it. Um, there are some steps you can take to dig into those uh, those inquiries or those accounts. Um, you certainly want to be familiar with everything that's showing up on your credit report, and especially if it's yours. Okay, and then when I'm looking at my trade lines, yeah. I'm looking for inaccuracies. Like like someone could say I was late, but I wasn't late. Like that type of inaccuracy, or yes, that as well as hey, look, there's an account here I don't know anything about. This isn't mine. Okay, and that would be to me the biggest reason why I think everyone, especially in today's day and age, should look at their credit report on an annual basis. Yes, it's because you're looking for more things that are like holy cow, that's not me. Yeah, um, I don't know. You're the expert, like. I don't know if I'm like, well, wait a minute. It says my credit card max limit is 20,000 and it's really 25. Is that something I really want to dispute if I use that credit card for, for daily use, but I pay it off at the end of every month? Or is that really a non-issue? If you're paying it off, it's not going to be much of an issue. If you are carrying a balance, that debt to or that, that limit to use ratio can be very important for your credit score. Okay, so then I do want to make sure that, hey, look, if the credit report mentions that my, my limit is 20000 if it's really 25000 I should look into that. It's worth looking it's, at. It's worth Absolutely. looking to, especially like I know some of my clients who are business owners, they may put a full $25,000 on that credit card because they're expense reimbursing it at the end of the month and their employer's technically paying for it. Right. But the last thing they'd ever want to do is show their their credit companies or their credit reporting agencies that they're maxed out. Right. That, All right. So I'm I'm checking for inaccuracies. I'm disputes. Certified letter is the best way to do it. But I should only dispute if it's legit, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, like legitimately dispute things. And, and let's talk about that okay. because that is actually the side effect of a credit reporting scam. The reason that the word dispute on your credit report when you're going through and trying to close on a mortgage loan, the reason that's so toxic is because Fannie and Freddie said, 
you can't have the word dispute on your report, right? Correct. And the, Inle unless you can show documentation where the dispute was a true inaccuracy by the creditor and you have basically won your dispute. Right. Yeah. So they don't want it on the report. They don't care. You can provide Fannie and Freddie proof all day long. They're not going to do anything with your application until it's off the report. Yes. And it's a situation where a consumer protection has been turned on its head. You have a legal right to explain a dispute on your credit report. And the reason that's on there is supposed to be to allow you to have an explanation as to why that account shouldn't be on there, even when you lost the dispute. It's not used that way. And it's not and that protection got lost because of credit repair scams. There were companies out there or people out there that were disputing everything that had any negative information. And what they did is they they realized that some of the scoring models, not all, but some of the scoring models don't factor disputed accounts into the credit score. So they they realized that they can perpetrate a fraud on their customers, they can artificially raise that FICO number or that credit score number simply by disputing the account, even if it's still on there, until a couple days before closing and you have to remove that dispute and deal with the consequences. I love the phrase, perpetrate a fraud, because I don't think the consumer truly understands. That's what it is. It's fraud. It's right. fake. It's lying. It's what you're, you're a father, I'm a father. It's what we started teaching our children the minute they could talk and reason not to lie. And when you pull up your credit report and you have, my word, not yours, a hack who is charging you a couple hundred dollars and promising you an extra 80 or 100 points, which by the way, that's what we mean by credit repair scams. Right. They're taking your money, they're promising you this, this inflated scores, but all they're doing is perpetrating fraud on your behalf. Hey, Jared, go ahead and sign these letters I'll get them all mailed off for you, but you're signing letters. By the way, it's your name. Right. You're the attorney, not me, but it's your name that you're signing to. And you're saying, that's not right. That's not me. That's not my debt. That's not my collection. But if seven of the 10 were legit, your collections, like, hey, you didn't pay Sprint. Hey, you didn't pay your cable bill. Hey, you did miss your Ford auto payment. It ends up being disputed. You come to me. Your score is not 580. It's now 680. I give you, if I wouldn't do this, but a loan originator who doesn't know any better would give you a pre-approval letter. Mm -hmm. You go under contract, you pay for your appraisal, you pay for your home inspection. You're three weeks into your loan process. You're supposed to close in a week. And all of a sudden the underwriter is like, wait a minute, I need you to go through and undispute these accounts or provide documentation where you won your dispute. Right. And if you can't provide the documentation, you have to undispute it, which by the way, is not a quick process. It is not. And then we have to rescore you. And if that scoring model, which I'm going to let you all know in the mortgage industry, our scoring model will not count disputed, uh, disputed accounts. Yeah. And all of a sudden your score is not 680. It's back to being 580. All of a sudden, not only did you waste four or $500 with this credit repair scammer, but now you're not going to buy the house. You have to backtrack on your word to all your friends and family that you bragged to that you're going to buy a house. You don't have a place to live because you've already given your 60 day notice to your apartment complex and you spent money on home appraisals, home inspections, and you may even have $5,000 of your money tied up as a deposit that you may or may not get back. Right. Like when we use the word perpetrate fraud and scam, like these are real life examples and why I was so excited, Jared, to have you have you on. Um, I had another question that I was going to ask as it pertained to the the removal of of certain items. My big one 
is medical bills. I have witnessed firsthand over, again, 18 plus years, how a $50 medical collection has taken someone from being pristine A plus credit down to below average. And it's usually a dollar amount that they, they could pay for right. if they just knew about it. Yeah. Um, what, what's your advice and your suggestions as it pertains to, to handling medical collections? Well, first, start at the beginning. Open your mail. And that's one of the big things that gets people in problem in, in trouble. They don't open their mail. They're not looking at their bills. Uh, there is some relief on the horizon on medical debt. In, in as of July 1st of this year, um, medical collections under $500 are not going to be shown on your credit report. Well, hallelujah! It's going to be that's a huge a win huge for the consumer. Change. Okay, um, and then. Prior to collection on or, or credit reporting on those other medical debts, um, the debt collector is going to have to send you notice in writing before it's reported to the credit reporting agency. You'll have a 15-day warning that this debt collector has bought this account. We're going to start credit reporting in 15 days, uh, and that will give you a chance to quickly get in there and settle that account and deal with it before it hits your credit report. So July 1, 2022. I'm like, oh, wow, 20, to July 1, 2022. This is, if this was July 1, 2020, we wouldn't be talking. We'd still be in lockdown. Yeah. But July, July 1, 2022, this is a huge change because I've witnessed someone with an 800 credit score who went under contract, needed to apply for a loan, needed to lock in an interest rate, and they qualified, sure. Right. But all of a sudden, they qualified for a rate that a 660 credit score brings you, not a 830 credit score, and they didn't know about this $100 medical collection. Right. You know, but... Your suggestion, which I love, is kind of like, hey, how do you have great credit Will you pay your bills on time? How do you not uh, have medical collections? You open your mail. Right. But there's also one other caveat that I've experienced as a lender. When you move, please, there is a service that allows you to do mail forward. Yep. Please contact whoever you need to with the United States Postal Service and make sure that you've updated where it is you're moving to because your doctor doesn't know that you've moved or your dentist doesn't know, and if they're trying to collect that $100 that your insurance company didn't pick up and you've moved, then now it's not only you not opening your mail, but it's mail being sent to your old address. You can even do that online, and essentially for free, uh, the, with the, the uh, United States Postal Service. You can forge your mail up to a year, I think, and you can actually extend that for a small charge. Um, the only they'll charge your credit card like a dollar, and they do that to verify identity before they start forwarding someone's mail, uh, or for free if you go down to the post office. Awesome! I did not know that. That's that is great advice, and I like the fact that I can do it from my computer, and not have to get dressed or shower to do it at one a.m. if you want to. At one a.m. if I want to. So uh, I'm going to steal a George W. Bushism, and I'm talking about evil doers. So the evil doers, the people that are doing it not right. Yeah. Hey, what we talked about, look, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to take your money and they're going to have you dispute everything, even if it is a fraudulent dispute. What else do you, do you see or witness that's being done that you're like, oh, gosh, I wish I talked to you first? So uh, let me just start by giving a little bit of the legalese, the legal background here. There is a law that was passed in 1996 called the Credit Repair Organizations Act. It's been amended since then, but it governs what can be done by credit repair organizations. These are the credit repair companies that you see advertising on little signs by the door, or by, on the side of the road or whatever. Uh, the biggest sign that you are dealing with a scammer or someone who does not know what they're doing is if they ask you for money before they do work. 
It is the first red flag that you should pay attention to because the Credit Repair Organizations Act says they can't take any money from you before they do work. And so right away, you're going to eliminate probably 75, 80% of the companies out there claiming to do credit repair and who are scamming and ripping people off. All right. That's fantastic. So if they're collecting money up front, all they want to do is dispute. Um, let me talk about something more positive. Let's let's talk less about the scammers or as I use my George W-ism, uh, evildoers. Um, what's your practice all about? Like, I'm, I mean, that's a loaded question because I'm sure you all do a lot with identity theft um, so much that you and I made a pact that we weren't going to talk about identity theft on this particular episode. We're going to do a future episode where we just dive deep, like what happens when your identity gets stolen. Right. Because I'm sure that could be a four-hour uh, dissertation um, that we'll try to dedicate a whole entire episode to. But like, w- what are some things that people typically call you and your firm to help them with? Yeah. So our firm focuses on helping consumers restore their life after either identity theft or credit reporting error. Um, We help other individuals that are dealing with illegal business practices, including abusive debt collection and and some banking issues. Um, But we we help the little guy against the big uh, corporations. And we see our role in part, like Congress saw it when when they passed these laws, is also a part of what we do is we keep the industry fair. We keep the good guys fair competing on an even playing field with the bad guys so that they don't have to drop down so it's not a race to the bottom. Okay. What's some, what are some of the like most prevalent caseload type that comes your way? Again, let's exclude identity theft, which my guess is that your largest. It is. That is by far your largest. And it's the, the, the one that's growing. It's the one that's the scariest. The one that I'm guessing is the most harmful, um, potentially. Or would you say there's something else that's more harmful than identity theft? There's a couple things that are more harmful than identity theft and a little bit harder to fix. Okay. The Such mo- as? The most harmful situation, particularly for someone's credit report, uh, is a situation where they are the victim of a mixed file. And that's a situation where a consumer reporting agency has combined two people's information into a single file. Like John Coleman and John Coleman Jr.? Like that basic? It can be that basic or it can be as similar as having a, a same first name, a matching date of birth, and living in the same area. It can be quite little that it, that it overlaps before those matching algorithms pull your scores or your, your files together. Similar to those, this one time, my cousin, true story, just started dating this girl who I believe is now his wife. He was apprehended in Miami coming back from a cruise. He was then taken to two states over from from Florida where he was locked up because they had the wrong John. They had the wrong guy. And he tried to tell them over and over, this is not me. This is not who, you know, what, what you're looking for pulled him out of bed in on his cruise ship. Um, so you're saying like, where that's an extreme case of like mistaken identity, the credit reporting agencies are just taking two people, maybe once Brian Miller with an I, once Brian Miller with a Y. They're both Brian Millers. They're both 44 years of age. They both reside in Southern California. Yeah. And they're just somehow, they got intertwined. Yeah. So, and, and your story reminds me, there was a case uh, out in California against TransUnion uh, that involved, the, the TransUnion was doing OFAC checks 
and doing a name only match. And so they, they got sued under the Fair Credit Reporting Act um, for the, the doing a name only match with these people. And as you know, uh, if you're on the OFAC list, you're done for, you're not doing anything. For those that don't know, uh, OFAC is? So OFAC is the government's list of terrorist and drug dealers that have been blackballed economically. Yeah. And, uh, and Russian oligarchs may be making the list. Yeah. You know, in the near future. <laughs> so I keep reading every time I log on to my Apple News and read something from Politico. Yeah. Um, which, hey, more power to them. Yeah. I mean, more power to the people who are going on the OFAC list or us having an OFAC list. If those truly are bad people, right. let's go ahead and blackball them from an economic standpoint. Right. Um, what advice do you have to consumers in general, um, especially, you know, those are coming to you and they're like, oh my gosh, Jared, help me out. I have X and you pull up their credit report and it's, it's their credit scores below 700 or below 600. And there are collections there and there are late pays there, maybe even some repossessions. Like what, what does that typically look like for you in your world? What is that a consultative service? Is that kind of walk me through what that is, because I want to hear it from you, because if we have people who sell real estate for a living tuning in or people who who um, finance real estate for a living or they may finance cars. Right. All of this is good advice that we can then take you as our profit and we can go out and and be um, uh, speakers based on some of the information that you shared with us today. So like, kind of walk me through what that looks like. Yeah, so that this consumer, this hypothetical consumer, they've already done the right first thing. They've gotten their credit report and they've looked at it. Um, but so start collecting information. Um, we're not going to talk about identity theft, but there's a lot of information that needs to be collected in that situation. Um, but if you're dealing with a situation where, you know, someone else's information is on your credit or there's an inaccuracy, you want to document one, who you are, and then two, why that information is inaccurate. Um, and then put a dispute together in writing, provide as much detail and information as possible, send it off to the credit reporting agencies. Uh, and they'll conduct an investigation. They're required to under the Fair Credit Reporting Act. And certain time frame they have to do it by? They have 30 days in most situations to conduct that investigation. Uh, and with a few exceptions, sometimes it's 45. And then when I submit the letter and you mentioned documentation, would that be something like cancel checks? Would that be anything that I have as evidence to show, hey, look, this, this is inaccurate because of X? Right. Cancel checks can be a very powerful tool. Bank statements that show when a, a you know debit or credit card transaction cleared, those things can be very, very helpful. You have any basic rules of thumbs that you share with your, your clients as opposed to like, hey, how do you make sure you have the best credit score? Basic rules of thumb, um, assuming nothing is misleading and inaccurate, uh, the best thing you can do is keep your revolving accounts low. Keep a low balance or no balance on those revolving accounts and make sure you pay them before your billing date instead of after your billing date so that when that uh, that account is reported, you're not seeing the highest amount of your credit usage, you're seeing it after it's paid. Okay, yeah, that's pretty much on par what I've been sharing with people for the past decade. So I'm glad I'm actually, you know, what, what sounds good to me is actually resonating with someone in, in your particular line of work. How about this, like maybe one of my last questions as it pertains to, you know, trying to give sound advice to the listeners who may very well have credit reports that need work, yeah. right? And and like we said in the very beginning of the show, sometimes it's the behavior that needs to change. And some of that behavior is, okay, pay your bills on time. Make sure you have credit, but not too much. Make sure that you're keeping what you owe, which you mentioned your revolving debts, low. So if your limit is $5,000, maybe you never charge more than 2,000. 
because you want to make sure that your limit to to uh, O ratio is is in line. But what happens when look, I'll be honest, Jared, past 10 years, I've been a hot mess and I have collections. I can't even follow who I owe money to. This is my concern. When I pull up that person's credit report, I'm like, well, it started with Verizon. But Verizon says you owe them $617, but then this collection agency says you owe them $717, and this other collection agency says you owe them $817, but they're all referencing Verizon in the same in the same account. Right. What what happens in that scenario? How do I I'm not paying all three of these people, am I? Do I owe all three for the same collection? It, it well, certainly you shouldn't. Okay. You, you should only have to pay each debt once. Um, but there are situations where a debt, a single debt gets sold to multiple debt collectors. In that situation, you probably have a violation of the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Talk to a consumer protection attorney about that. Um, and then you, my first advice is keep your, your current accounts current. Take the extra money and start negotiating on those collection accounts. Um, bring everything that's still active current first, though. Don't let something that's current go negative just to take care of a collection. Okay. But when in, in the case where I have three collections for the same debt, you're saying there is a chance that somewhere along the lines they didn't follow proper protocol. If they're reporting an active balance on all three of those, then yeah, you probably have a situation where, where you need a lawyer's help. Okay. And then w- when I hire an attorney, I pay them up front? Like, how, how does that work? So every consumer that we help, we help on a contingency basis, which means they pay nothing up front. If we have to litigate, we front the cost of litigation. Um, And the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, as well as the uh, Fair Credit Reporting Act, allow you to recover your attorney's fees and costs when you prevail. Oh, how about that? So So I, I learned that new today. Yeah. So good consumer protection attorneys generally should be able to help you uh, with nothing or very little out of pocket. That's fantastic. Right. I mean, that that is like, okay, so I don't need to go to the scammers. Right. When I can go to an attorney who specializes in this. And and if I'm right, which I know you should know if you're right. Right. I mean, to a certain degree, you should know if you're right. And the attorney should be able to sit down, ask all the right probing questions under that attorney client privilege and figure out, yes, we have a case here. At which point I'm sure you gladly raise your hand. You're like, I'm going to recover for you and I'm going to have them pay my fees because that's how the law is written. Right. And it's a great way to keep those that do it the wrong way in check. It is. That's our, our, our checks and balances in our world and why we need people like you fighting for the consumer uh, in order to protect them against big business. And I'm not going to say big business is evil because, look, I've made yeah. my living in big business. But sometimes big business is so big they become disorganized and haphazard. Right. And then their disorganization and their haphazardness is what impacts the consumer. And if you're going to be disorganized and haphazard, then you should pay for it. Right. I mean, you should one get kind of get organized, get your ship in line. Um, and I, I, I could only guess from studying business, uh, both, you know, in, in practice as, as well as scholastically, it may be in some people's business models that it's way easier to pay attorney's fees and way easier to, to, to pay uh, plaintiffs than it is to actually hire the staff necessary to do the, the, the right job up front. It is. And it that's is. sad, but that's reality, yeah. which is why, okay, well, it keeps people like you employed and it keeps people like us needing people like you 
so that when that happens and we have one of those businesses whose business practice is like, yes, we understand that we're disorganized and haphazard, but the cost of prevention in their case isn't worth the pound of cure. And at which point they're like, look, we'll just, we'll just pay our cures. I, I would love to be driven out of business by businesses doing everything right. Yeah, wouldn't that be amazing? I would love to have to go find a new career. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, if I want to get a hold of you or learn more about whether it's it's what you teach, what you do, how you help the consumer, what's the best way for someone to get a hold of you? Uh, first, you can find information about us on our website, which is cra.law. Uh, you can also give us a call at 407-477-4401. Do you just practice in the state of Florida? Uh, we currently practice primarily in the state of Florida. These uh, federal statutes, sometimes in some situations, we will uh, go outside and work with local counsel in other places. Do you have the opportunity to refer to, to counsel out, outside? Like if, we if, do. if I was a consumer in California or in Texas... If I reached out to you, could you point me in the right direction for someone in California or Texas? Absolutely. We've got contacts all across the country that can handle consumer protection anywhere. Any of your coursework online, or is that only for students who pay their their fees to that awesome university in Tallahassee, Florida? To get our coursework, you're going to have to enroll at the College of Law. Okay. So you're yeah, actually going to have to like do the whole LSAT thing and... Get accepted into law school thing, huh? Well, the, you can. There is the, the Juris Master's program that doesn't require an LSAT. It's a one-year degree for folks that don't look, aren't looking to practice law but need to understand law. But for the most part, yeah, you're going to need to go do the LSAT thing. And the website, again, is www.cra.law. For Consumer Rights Advocacy. That's correct. Dot law. And the practice is Consumer Rights Advocacy Firm. He's Jared Lee. I'm Dustin Owen. That's all the time we have for you, for you today on this episode. But keep tuning in and check out Jared because he's going to come back and we're going to do an entire episode dedicated to what to do when you have your identity stolen. In the meantime, please hit us up on Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, follow us on Spotify, on Apple iTunes, our website. We haven't talked about this at all. TheLoanOfficerPodcast.com. If you want more contact, more content, if you want to see bios and contact information for guests like Jared, it is on the website, tloponline.com or thelonofficerpodcast.com. He's Jared. I'm Dio. That's all the time we have for you today. We'll catch you in the next episode. Peace.